Take your copy of God's Word, beloved, and turn to Exodus, Exodus 18. If you are visiting with us and do not have a copy of God's Word, please look in front of you. You'll see one in the racks there. We invite you to grab that and follow along with us, Exodus 18. That'll be our residence today. Second book, Exodus 18. Last week, last week we began a consideration in this portion of Exodus on the reality of help. The reality of help. We saw at the end of Exodus 17 the necessity of help. For even the strongest, that's what we saw in God's word, even the strongest that we saw were in need of help. Even God's chosen people, and what a picture was it not, freed by the mighty, powerful hand of God, but soon after under attack by Amalek. Even the strongest like Joshua, remember we were introduced to him last week, the young military leader that would become prominent, especially in the conquest, been here, even he needed a company of men. Even the strongest like Moses, the man of God. Yes, even he needed Aaron, he needed her. That event in the history of Israel was quite instructive for us. It showed us that we all need help. We all need help. None of us, contrary to our internal core feelings, none of us are strong enough. None of us are tough enough, and none of us are independent enough. Yes, every single one of us from ancient Israel to the present church is in need. Now let's be clear this morning as we reorient in this passage, in this text. Let's be crystal clear as we return to the notion, the biblical notion of help. Let us make sure we understand this and we hear it and see it. You did not will yourself into being. You know, there may be feelings, right, even for the most robust, that some sense you're responsible for your, who you are, but you didn't will yourself into being and you didn't birth yourself. No, you were made. You needed someone to make you. You did not raise yourself as an infant. I'm sure the tales for the most independent in generations to come, the fish was this big and I did this at a young age. Yes, you've heard all of those. But the reality is you didn't raise yourself as an infant, certainly as a helpless infant. It wasn't you. No, you cried and you were helped. You cried and you were helped. You needed someone to clothe you, someone to teach you, someone then to pay you. You need help on the car, you need help on the home, you need help with your bills, you need help on the job, and you certainly need help with that family problem. Friend, you cannot make your body work. You can't. And you can't stop your body breaking down. You cannot, I repeat, you cannot stop sickness. And you, along with all humanity, know that you cannot stop your death. You need help. We all do. You need help. That's the truth. Yet like all truth, it can be denied. Like all truth, it can be suppressed in unrighteousness. Romans 1. But listen, suppressing or denying the truth, suppressing or denying your need for help does not make it any less true. 
Does that make sense? You, you can deny truth all you want. It doesn't make it less true. And it certainly doesn't make it go away. In fact, when you suppress that truth for your dependence on another, it only amplifies your need for someone outside of yourself. And as you struggle along, like a renegade, believing you can handle it all yourself, that is the present struggle, the present reality, like a beacon in your life, even if you're the only one still denying it here on earth that you need help. Again, we saw that demonstrated among the most mighty in history. And note that the most mighty in ancient times, God's people and God's people need help. Yet their help, our help is not limited to just that beloved help is not just a practical reality. Don't miss this in this portion of scripture. Help is not just something Right In being there, lending a hand or offering an extra arm. It's not just the practicality. Don't lower the ceiling of help. Help, friends, help is not just a physical reality that we need to recognize. Help is not just a matter of grabbing more hands, a Joshua, an Aaron, a Her, and we're good. Help is that, and I want to be clear, help is that, it contains that in part, and in one real practical sense, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ, right? Helping one another very practically. We get that, and we saw that last week. But friends, true help is so much more than that. Help is more than physical, and that's never been more clear than it is today. Help is not just recognizing more earthly hands, but the one heavenly hand. And we touched on this last week, our need for not just helping hands, we need that, but we need the hand of God. That's what we all need, the hand of God. Now that hand of God, that help of God, we'll see present in two ways this morning. These are our two points, two ways. One to those who are not gods, those outside eternal life, as Gary alluded to at the table, those outside his family. Simply this, you cannot be God's child, saved by God, secure in him, unless you are helped by him. It's just impossible. You cannot call yourself a child of God if you don't confess that you've been helped by God. It just doesn't work that way. This morning we'll see a stark picture of salvation from the most unlikely. Secondly, we're also going to look at those who are gods. And I would imagine most of you, those inheriting eternal life, those in Christ, that's why you are here, that's why you are turning to the word, that's why you recognize the importance of this day. You're in Christ Being in God's family, though, doesn't make you immune to cowboy Christianity. Somehow, somewhere along the way, and our anthropology tells us this, we struggle with this. It's called pride. Oh, how many are God's own, yet attempt to shoulder it all themselves. No, I've got it. I'm fine. I don't need help. This morning, we'll see presented the help for those inside God's family. So here it is, help for those outside and help for those inside. That's where this text takes us. So let's now give careful attention to the word of God. 
with a look at our first point, and our first point is this, help for those outside. Help for those outside. Verses 1 to 12, let's read that passage. Chapter 18, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because this affair, in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. We're immediately here reintroduced to Jethro. You likely remember him if you've been tracking through this study. As this chapter opens, he returns to the text. And who is he? By way of reminder, maybe introduction for some. Well, we think all the way back to chapter 2. Chapter 2. Remember when Moses fled from Pharaoh. He fled into the wilderness. Do you remember? And he happened upon a well. And he sat down at the well. And there were seven ladies gathering water from the well. And those seven ladies had a father. They went back to report to their father how a certain man... An Egyptian, they thought, rescued them from bandits. Well, who was that family with seven daughters? And who was that father? He was Jethro. He was Jethro. And it turned out, as we learned, he gave one of those daughters, Zipporah, to Moses to be his wife. We learned that in chapter 2. Hence, this is no longer a foreign priest to Moses. They were Midianites, and he, we learned that he was a priest, but... Is no longer a foreigner to Moses, but look at verse 1. Now the relationship is that he is a father-in-law. He's a father-in-law. But let's pause on Jethro for a moment to be reminded of some important family details that are really important to help us understand this chapter. Back in chapter 2, we also learned that Moses and Zipporah had a son. Remember, we're reminded of him here. His name is Gershom. And his name was significant there, and it is again here, and it means this. Look at verse 3. I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Saying, I've been an alien. I've been an outcast in a foreign land. Very significant at the time, certainly for Moses' wandering. Well, his names so often do in the Old Testament, they point to rich meaning in the plan of God. They're almost like pillars. The names that are given to God's people are like pillars that help us understand what's going on in God's plan. And it's no different here. 
Gershom then represents the fact that Moses was in a foreign land in Midian. It's simply a statement of that fact. I was a sojourner in Midian. There's Gershom to prove that. And more, note this, he was a foreigner there among those not gods. That's important. Not God's people. He was a foreigner there. Now, that's one. That's Gershom. Note also the introduction of Moses' other child, verse 4, Eliezer. Now, note the meaning of his name. The God of my father was my help. So key. The God of my father was my help. And that keys us to something here in this passage. Because we didn't learn of Eliezer back then, but we certainly do now. Simply and literally, you can actually read Eliezer's name like this. My God is helper. That's in the simplest form. That's so telling, isn't it? The fact that we learn of Moses' other son and his name here is no accident. It's divine purpose. It's divine purpose. On the heels, of course, of all the help we've seen in chapter 17, there should be no surprise. And in fact, all the help we've seen in chapter 17 through men, through men, and even more, as we've already alluded to, the help we've witnessed in the chapters prior, the exodus and the deliverance by the hand of God, the helping hand of God. God, of course, does not stop helping even after the deliverance. And what we're going to orbit on here now is who God helps next that's in view. Who does he help? Now we come back to Jethro. The return of his daughter Zipporah, Moses' wife, along with grandsons Gershom and Eliezer, sets us up for the next one that's going to be helped here by the Lord. And you know, it is the most unlikely candidate to be helped in this whole scene. It's one on the outside. Remember Midian? Not Israel, Midian. One on the outside. One not of God's chosen people. One not even a foreign refugee that's wandering. You're talking about a priest of Midian. A priest of Midian. Jethro. In other words, a man of no small importance to his nation, to his people. And again, by the way, that would be a foreign nation and a foreign people to Israel. A word about Jethro's people, by the way, the Midianites. Let us be reminded of these people. Although friendly to Moses, the Hebrew, before the formal birth of the nation, although this particular Midianite shows hospitality to one of God's people, which we saw, the Midianites, again, to be clear, were not God's people. They were not God's people. In fact, they were very much against God's people. In Genesis, the Midianites are the ones that sell Joseph to Potiphar, almost by way of preview of this relationship that would, we'd see throughout the Old Testament. Later in the wilderness years, you can note Numbers 22, it's Midianite elders. You remember in that account? Midianite elders that join with Moabite elders in order to tempt and lure Balaam to curse Israel. Their battles with Israel, by the way, during the conquest are referenced in Joshua 13, 21, You see the Midianites, again, that antagonism. And of course, they're most well-known. This would be what you probably associate them with, Judges 6 and 7. The Midianites, right, that raise up, and Gideon is raised up by God to defeat them. Again, and we state that by way of reminder to set the tone here, the Midianites are on the outside of God's covenant in his family. Yet that position outside does not prevent Jethro from hearing about God. And here it is. 
The fact that he's outside the people of God doesn't prevent him from hearing about God. In verse 1, we learn that Jethro heard of all that God had done. Do you see that in verse 1? He heard about all of Moses and Israel. And how can you not hear about those events, those cosmic events that happened in Egypt? Certainly that would have a broader hearing. Now, when you look at the hearing in verse 1 here, let's tease apart two things. That would be a general hearing. That's your word on the street, right? Jethro, just by way of being anywhere near the region, has heard about the chaos that went on in Egypt by someone called Yahweh. He's heard about that, but that's generally, that's not specifically. Jethro hears of what Yahweh has done for his people, and presumably, think of Jethro receiving this. He's like, wait a minute. My son-in-law was going to Egypt to do something, being called by that God, and it's a cue to Jethro. He likely remembers why Moses left his wife and sons with him, and what do you have here? He comes back. He comes back. Jethro knew that. Now, we can't know how Jethro would have received Moses' initial words about his mission and call of God, but we do know now that Jethro's coming back. That's clear. Whatever the case, Jethro's hearing of Yahweh's work brings him to Moses. You see that? He's coming to Moses. And now he receives a special hearing. He had the general hearing about what Yahweh's done, but now, let's introduce this, he's going to get a special hearing. And this is word directly from Moses. And this is key, beloved. This is key. And please, let's not miss this because people will come. Maybe people have come to you over the past 13 months. I heard what's happening in your midst. I heard what's happening out west. I heard this. I heard that about your God and how important this is and why you're doing that. I heard, I heard. I heard of something that's so important to you. Maybe they've specifically said, tell me about this God that I'm hearing about that you're willing to risk for. And what do you tell them? What do you do with this golden opportunity to tell of your God? Well, consider that in your own heart and consider what Moses does. Look at verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And then verse 8, then Moses asked Jethro about the weather in Midian and how priesting was going. He didn't. Moses waits for no opportune moment to get to that Yahweh thing in the conversation. No, Moses instead, look at verse 8. There's no gap here. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Let's look. Moses does two things here. So important for us. Two things by way of help for his father-in-law on the outside. He does this. Number one, he wastes no time. He wastes no time. More, Moses takes advantage of the opportunity, the open door in front of him. Why is Jethro coming back? Instead of waiting for the right moment, just waiting for that moment to get a spiritual conversation, no, Moses seizes the moment to tell. And what he tells is this, the second help that he offers Jethro here. Two, Moses tells of all that the Lord has done. Moses doesn't recount how he lifted the staff this way or led the people that way. 
No, look at the beginning of verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law what? All that he, God, had done. And then to verse 8, Moses told Jethro how the Lord had delivered them, Israel. This is all about God all the time. By the way, the word for told there, do you see that? That's the same one used in chapter 9 with Moses before Pharaoh. And that's a key link here. There it was Yahweh with a telling for Pharaoh. Chapter 916, remember, said this, But for this purpose, Pharaoh, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed, same word, proclaimed in all the earth. So the telling that is the proclamation in front of Pharaoh, in front of Jethro, same thing. The proclamation that tells of God's name. That evangelistic purpose in front of Pharaoh is the same telling here in front of Jethro. It's to tell of God. The mighty power of Yahweh is proclaimed to Jethro for the purpose of what? As we're reminded. So that this Midianite priest would know who the true God is, the God of Israel. And remember the purpose with Pharaoh. By God himself, so that you would know who God is. Here Moses doing the same thing. Similarly with a pagan. So that this Midianite priest would know who the true God is, the God of Israel. However, very much, now that's the linkage of the two proclamations, Pharaoh and Jethro. Now they depart, though. The two accounts depart. Because unlike Pharaoh in his hard-heartedness who rejected Yahweh, Jethro has a very different response to that proclamation. Look with me at verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. What a response. Look again. We see Jethro rejoice. And rejoice at what? At Moses' return, that I've seen you again? At Moses' clever tactics, good job on the staff thing and the snake? No, at Moses being right? No, the text says nothing of that. I want you to see what all the pointers in the text are going towards. In fact, let's let the words speak for themselves. Verse 9, it says, And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that... The Lord had done to Israel at Yahweh's work to deliver them. Brothers and sisters, we need to grab the focus here. We need to grab the focus here. Again, who is the focus of Moses' words and his telling? The Lord, God, his work, his doing, his might, his deliverance. That's it. Moses is telling nothing else. I mean, there are many interesting things, I'm sure, but the text tells us he was telling of what God did. Westmount, this is so instructive for us in these times when the harvest is ripe and time is short. One of you was telling me this week, and I absolutely agree, time is of the essence. It absolutely is. Time is running out, and yet the harvest is ripe. What people need to hear then when time is short is not what you can do now with the Lord. What they don't need is a spiritual public service announcement of all the things that you can do now because you know Jesus. No, what they need to know is what will happen to them if they don't know the Lord. What will happen to them naturally and by choice because they don't know the Lord. What they need to know, as Gary walked us through already this morning, that from the inside out they are corrupt by nature. What they need to know is that all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. 
What they need to know is that we are in a lot of trouble. What they need to know is that we need help. What they need to know is that we're not going to be fine in the end without help. So what they need to hear today, and for all their days, is this. What they need to hear is only of God and what Yahweh and only Yahweh can do. Moses exemplifies this here. What should be true of all of us, especially today, tell of what God has done. Tell of what God has done. Christian, tell of God's work. Yes, we're in need of help. But tell of God's work to send his son to do what you and I can't. What sinners cannot, he sent Christ to do. Christian, tell of the God-man's work, of Christ's work, his son. That he not only did what we can't do, but he lived a life that we can't, and he lived it flawlessly, perfectly, without sin, without stain. Christian, tell of that perfect life that was then lived and laid down as a sacrifice. Christian, tell of that sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God. The wrath of God that we are due for falling short, every single one of us, that we can't bridge that gap. The unbelievable news that he would send his son to bridge that gap and appease God's wrath so that we don't bear it. If we repent, tell of that. If we repent, if we want to tell of something that we need to focus on, we need to repent of our sinfulness and turn and believe on this Christ for help. Christian, tell of that good news. Time is short. Tell of that good news. Because it's certainly easy to criticize the bad news today, isn't it? It's easy. It's natural. You don't need any help to criticize the bad news. Won't you tell of the good news? Won't you be a solution bringer to this world? Tell of the good news. Focus now, while time is short, on the only news that matters. Tell of what God has done. Tell of what God has done. Tell of that help that we all need. Tell a helpless world that they can have true help. Tell them. Don't give them data. Don't give them fake news, true news, whatever you want to do. Tell them of the only help that matters. Help is more than help in this life, but it is help needed for the life to come. Certainly, we need help to get from the cradle to the grave. That is true, is it not? We need help, but more, we need help to get us beyond the grave to life, eternal life. That is life beyond the grave that awaits all of us in one of two destinations, life beyond the grave. Moses knew who Jethro was, and here it is. He knew that he wasn't of God's people. He knew he was outside the promises of God. Moses knew he needed a telling. He was a Midianite, a foreigner, and he needed to hear. The only help this one on the outside Jethro needed was good news of God. And what's Jethro's response? Look at verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. 
And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What an incredible response. It's so stark when you remember Pharaoh's response, don't you? This is an incredible response. This is regeneration in the heart. This is, this is a matter of one that has been given the eyes to see God. The good news of what God has done, I recognize, beloved, doesn't always end like this. In a room like this, we probably have ex- exponentially more stories of rejections of the gospel. Is that not true? Jethro receptions are very rare. But they're not non-existent. And the possibility of a Jethro response is the reason why you go and tell. And even more, God has promised more Jethro responses. He told Paul this when Paul was ready to pack up shop. I have many in this city that are mine. Go and do. Salvation, and this is our confidence, not what words will come out of our mouth or how we can cleverly spin something. I hope not. Our confidence is that there are many that are still Jethro that need to hear. And even more, our confidence is it's not about us. It's about God's work. God's work. His choosing. His calling. His regeneration. His help through and through. The whole bit. He chose Jethro here and we not We can't possibly know who the next Jethro is. We can't know that. By the way, this is important. We know Jethro's conversion is real. Maybe you're thinking that. How do we know this is the real deal? Well, you get some clear cues here. Because he not only professes knowledge of God. Look at verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. But also look at verse 12. Jethro not only professes, but then what does he do? He worships. That's speech and action and action. The words and the worship. The confession and the worship. The root and the fruit. That new worshiper of the one true God now breaks bread with Israel. What a picture. That wall of hostility broken down between this Israelite and this Midianite. And now they break bread together. Only with God. Only with God, because God saved him through the telling, not the tact, through the telling of Moses. I'm reminded of this powerful truth, still true, certainly in a much more uh, Christ-centered way, in a Christ-clear way in the New Testament. Romans 10, note this, Romans 10, I start in verse 12, just listen to this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, praise God, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Moses has beautiful feet here, does he not? Beautiful feet. Telling of what God has done. That, beloved, is how we truly help those outside, those lost in the world today. Those lost, bewildered, but some who've crossed your path, they're seeking. They want truth. You don't know who is called out there. You don't know what Jethro will come across your path. So church, you help by telling of the Lord. 
Okay, we turn now to the inside. That's the outside. Let's turn inside for our second point. Help for those inside. Help for those inside. Let's continue the second half of our chapter. Verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. See that there? God's newly delivered people are quite a mass of humanity. Oh, I read the wrong verse. I apologize. Thinking, I, thinking I lost my place, and I have. 13, let me try that again. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Yes, a mass of humanity, not a mass of quail. So let's orbit that right. In fact, to the tune of 600,000 men, right? We learn in chapter 12, this is a mass of humanity. Led by Moses, yes, but just imagine one man. I want you to think about this. One man physically leading a group, at least of the men, a mass the size of Hamilton. One man leading that by himself. Amazing. Led by Moses. That is this crowded and chaotic scene that Jethro awakens to this next day. Can you just imagine? He's come back to Moses and he wakes up and he sees Moses having to lead this mass. And look at the text, verse 13. All day from morning till evening, Moses sits to judge the people. I so appreciate Jethro's very candid, plain observation in verse 14. This is good. Look at it with me. He says this. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? In other words, what are you doing, Moses? Moses takes that as if Jethro's questioning the what. Do you see this? Moses thinks he's questioning what he's doing. Moses' response is telling. He says, Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. I want us to see this. Moses offers a defense of what he's doing. Moses initially takes that to say, what are you questioning what I'm doing? Let me tell you, I'm judging disputes. I'm teaching laws. This is a good thing. And by the way, I have to point this out. I want you to note the measure there for Moses' oversight. Don't miss this. This is not subjective thing. He's not like a judge in the courts today that's just going to weigh, and really, it comes down to that judge. What does he say? Moses' opinion is not how he's feeling. Verse 16, it's the, this is the measuring stick. The statutes of God and his laws. You see that? This is not some, I feel like doing this today. Moses brings in the divine ruler and says, I'm going to judge every dispute by this. So too then, it should be true today. Moses is doing rightly according to God's law, not his own inclinations. That is what Moses is doing. And again, it may seem like Jethro has an issue. However, Jethro's admonishment is not with what he's doing. Do you see that? Jethro doesn't have an issue with him judging disputes. It's not who are you to judge Moses or let them handle themselves. That's not what Jethro is doing. No, instead, as we'll see, Jethro's issue is how Moses is doing it. That's key. And Jethro makes this clear. Look at verse 17. He's clear about this. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. And here it is. For the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. A couple of points to draw your attention to here is Jethro comments on the how. And we can't miss this. One, even this new convert recognizes the need 
for corporate leadership, corporate teaching. Do you see that? He's a brand new convert and he recognizes you need this. That's because it's obvious. A people group, a family, any mass, certainly like this, needs leading. And listen, even more, people without leadership, or let me say this church, sheep without leading do what? They stray and they scatter. Ezekiel 34, Isaiah 53. Secondly, leadership among God's people is not a solo endeavor. This shatters the CEO mentality of many churches, many celebrity churches. Church, this is Moses, the Moses. Remember, the man of God, Deuteronomy 33.1. I mean, if anyone can lift a mass of God's people on his back and lead them, it would be Moses, right? He's the guy that's going to put them on his back and lead them. Yet here we see clearly he can't. He can't. The humanity of Moses, in fact, is on full display. Look at the text. Wearing himself out from sunup to sundown. In fact, note the rebuke of Jethro standing alone in verse 17. What you're doing is not good. You can imagine Moses saying, this is good. I need to do it. And Jethro says, no, no, it's not good. The plain fact at the end of verse 18, you're not able to do it alone. Like a missile to the foundation of Moses, maybe. And maybe it's like kryptonite for you today. Kryptonite for the independent. You hate those words, don't you? You can't do it alone. But you resist. But we need to see here, no one can do it alone. Beloved, this flows out of all we looked at last week. When Amalek came, God's people needing the help of God's people because God's people, even God's people, can't do it alone. So Jethro gets stern here. This is good. Jethro gets stern. Look at verse 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Jethro presses into this strong, capable leader. You can just imagine the scene. This newly converted Midianite priest pressing into the man of God. Yes, our need for help, though, this is what this demonstrates, is true not only for all areas of life, for for all people in life, even leaders, even leaders, like Moses. Moses, Jethro says, you're not able to do it alone. True then, true today, this is why leaders often fall or burn out. This is one reason, there's many reasons, but one is they try to do it alone. They try to lead alone. They try to be holy alone. But church, the reality is we can't. Even leaders, we can't. For fallen men, such burdens are just impossible. And I cannot, even though time is against me, I cannot help here but mention the able men that shoulder the load with me here. And I just absolutely have to recognize Gary and David and Jim. We could not do it on ourselves. I couldn't, you couldn't. And I am so grateful for the able men He's given to shoulder the load because it's become very clear to me and many of us, we cannot do this alone. We can't. And so the advice that Jethro offers, look at this in verse 21. He says this, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it'll be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. There it is. 
If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So much that deserves common air, but we have to be concise as we land. Number one, Jethro is new to the faith, yet look at this. He starts helping right away. Do you see that? He starts helping right away. There's no holding pattern here. He's like, I just got to feel out the faith. I just got to see where I'm at. I got to find my place in God. No, he starts helping immediately. Immediately. He observes a need and he offers help. And note this. How does he offer help? This is so telling. He doesn't just say there's a problem there, leader. Go fix it or do something. He says, he says here's the solution. Amazing. Jethro. Secondly, his solution is patently biblical. His advice flows from God's way. This tells you the spirit, right, in that sense, that saving faith that Jethro has is pulsing through him. He's giving spirit advice here. His solution is biblical. In verse 21, he says, look, this is your phrase, look for able men. What he doesn't say, do I have any guys here willing to sit in this chair? No. Look for able men key adjective that means beloved not any man will do not just any man will do and here's this description just three things men who fear god in other words men who don't fear other men look for men who live in the healthy and holy fear of yahweh whatever the cost look for those kinds of men two men who are trustworthy moses choose men that you can count on When everyone else thinks they're going to pull the ripcord and bail, those men are still with you. Look for those men. Those men. Not just any man. The man you know that will be by your side no matter what happens. Three, men who hate a bribe. That is, men where dollars and prestige mean nothing. They can be dangled with dollars and titles all they want, but it doesn't mean a thing. That's integrity. Not the man drawn to earthly things, not the fleshly man. Moses looked for able men from all the people. In other words, these men will be rare. What's amazing here is even with just three qualities, you realize how rare this is. Is that not true? He just gives three qualities. And we look at the landscape today and say, we can't even meet that. Think of the passage that Gabe read. When you get to the New Testament church, it's like a laundry list of qualifications. That's because it's not about us. It's about the Spirit regenerating us, empowering us to do that. It's because that's what help looks like from the Holy Spirit by way of faithful men. This past Wednesday night, by the way, one of you commented when we were going through our midweek gathering, wow, that's a really high bar in the church. And our response to that is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I pray you're thankful that it's a high bar. It is a high bar. And this is help God's way, able men by way of the Spirit, men of character that can share the load and share the load they do. We conclude, look at verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Moses heeds the advice and implements the godly plan. The able men, the chiefs, oversee groups of various sizes. The able men sharing the leadership burden, judged with Moses at all times. And you see that, the structure there. Moses takes the hard cases. They're taking most of the cases. That's help for those inside. 
And that's how, look at the end of verse 23. That's how this can be that the people are able to go to their place in peace. Led well by able men, they can have peace, like Jethro suggested. Who, Jethro, think about him again as, as we consider him. This chapter fittingly comes back to him in closing. In verse 27 it says, Moses let his father-in-law, Jethro, depart, and he went away to his own country. So Jethro heads back to Midian. But note this. He's not the same Jethro, right? He's not the same Jethro. Can you? What a picture. Once a, a, a pagan, who knows worshiping what, now he has been transformed to be a worshiper of Yahweh. Formerly a priest of Midian, now a worshiper with Israel. Formerly Moses' father-in-law, now he's Moses' brother in the faith. Formerly lost, now found. Now found. That, of course, only possible because Jethro received help. The helping hands of Moses to tell of all the Lord had done and the helping hand of Yahweh to give faith, life, hope, and peace. Only God can offer that kind of help inside and out. Help for the helpless. And we ask, as we close, will you receive God's help today? Will you? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you do offer help and you do give it because we need it. Even if we deny it, it doesn't make it less true, Lord, and you know our stubborn hearts. Oh God, I pray that you would embrace the hard-hearted today. Whoever would hear of this telling of you, regenerate, save, all for your glory, so that like Jethro, there would be another that would build an altar and share a table with yours. We thank you, Lord, that you do so to the fame and glory of your name. Amen.